We, uh, we started a brand new series last week called The Flip Side. And The Flip Side is two realities in the same sentence connected by a transition word. So for those of you that were here last week, this will be a little bit redundant. For those that were not, this will be brand new. Uh, I gave these examples. We're going to throw them up on the screen again just so you kind of get a sense of what we're talking about with the flip side. But the forecast for last Saturday was a 30% chance of rain. But it was 75 and sunny on Saturday. Two realities connected by this transition word of but. The second flip side statement that we talked about last week was that my work is only 17 miles from my house, yet it takes me almost an hour to get to work some mornings. So two realities connected by yet. The third reality that we talked about was that I'm selling my car for $3,200, but nobody wants to pay more than $2,500 at this point. Two realities connected by nevertheless. So you have a reality a transition word, and a greater reality, okay? The reason it's a greater reality is because it doesn't really matter what the forecast was. The greater reality and what you and I really experienced was the 75 and sunny last Saturday. It doesn't really matter what the reality is related to how far I live away. The greater reality is how much time it takes me to get to work. It doesn't matter how much I'm asking for my car. The greater reality is how much people want to pay for my car. And if you are looking for a car, I can make you a sweet deal. All right. So that's what we're talking about with the flip side. We're looking at that over the next couple of weeks. Just this idea of situations in scripture, situations in life where there are two realities that are connected by this transition word of yet, but maybe nevertheless, whatever the word is in the translation of scripture that you're reading. So here's the question today. Have you ever, maybe you've questioned God or wanted to question God. Anybody want to be honest this morning? You, you've asked God, like, why is this happening? Why is this going on? Anybody? Everybody else is liars. Okay, great. So All of us at some point in our lives have probably either done it or felt like we wanted to do it, but weren't sure if that was allowed. And, you know, I I don't know that I'm supposed to do that or I can do that. If that's the case for you, you're going to love the guy that we're talking about today. We're talking about a guy by the name of Habakkuk. Everybody say Habakkuk. I took an Old Testament survey class in college and my professor loved to call this guy not Habakkuk, but Habakkuk. Everybody say Habakkuk. Now it's going to be stuck in your head like it is in mine every time you see the word Habakkuk. Uh, we're looking at the guy Habakkuk, and we're looking at this book of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's between two other... Habakkuk is a prophet. It's between two other minor prophets. It's, it's between the books of Nahum and Zephaniah, and it's five books from the New Testament. So if you go to Matthew and then kind of flip back to the left, five books, you get to Zephaniah, you're close, you get to Nahum, you've gone too far. All right, so we're looking at the book of Habakkuk here. And, and really to kind of set the stage for you, I want you to understand a little bit about Habakkuk. He is a prophet. So he, he's a part of um, the, the group of people at different stages throughout history, and especially in the Old Testament that are recorded here, that God would speak to or speak through to get a message to his people. So God would utilize the prophets to, to deliver a message really about what was to come. Not so much about what was occurring at that moment because all they could do is just open their eyes to see some of those things. But God might use a prophet to speak clarity about something that was going on in the moment and really provide 
a, a foreshadowing or a glance of what was to come. And that's really what we see in the book of Habakkuk. He was a contemporary. He was uh, alive around and ministering around the same time of a more well-known prophet, a guy by the name of Jeremiah. Maybe you've heard of him. Um, that is not my name. My name is actually just Jeremy, but a lot of people call me Jeremiah for some reason to get under my skin. Uh, so uh, he is a contemporary of Jeremiah. He's also a contemporary of the guys that we just referenced whose books surround his in the Old Testament, Nahum and Zephaniah. And, and all of them ministered in a really pivotal time time in the history of God's chosen people. You had the Israelite Hebrew people that the story of the Old Testament really centers around. And then you have that kingdom split. And then Habakkuk is really talking to and referencing the events that are going to take place in the kingdom of Judah, which is one part of this split kingdom of the people of Israel. And, and they're, these prophets that I've referenced, they're speaking in this very pivotal time in the history of these people. They're, they're speaking in kind of the, if you're a history buff, between 625 B.C. and 575 B.C. And what takes place during that time is, is really you see a lot of things happening in the state of affairs around the world. You see a lot of governments that have been established that are beginning to kind of fall away. You see a lot of new empires either rising for the first time or regaining strength from where they've been previously. And so you see a lot of turmoil in the world kind of government, society, and the things that are happening. And so you have a lot of uh, nations and kingdoms that are warring against one another or that have kind of taken captive one of the nations. And then maybe they get their freedom and they start warring against the other one. And, and, and you, you just see this happening all through this landscape. and really. Habakkuk is prophesying and he's in ministry during this time in history. And the reason that that's important is because when we go to the text in just a minute, I want you to kind of get a picture of what he's saying, what's happening and what he's talking about that is to come. Because he references a group of people and really God through him references a group of people, depending on the translation that you have, it may say Babylonians or it may say Chaldeans. We're talking about the same group of people. So he's referencing these people. And the reason that the Babylonians are important during this time in history is that the Babylonians during this stage are really a part of all that stuff that I'm talking about with the changing landscape of world governments. We, we've seen that in 722 B.C., and I'm giving you some history here, okay? 722 B.C., God kind of brings judgment on the people, the nation of Israel, through the Assyrians, all right. And so then as history kind of tracks from 722, now we see during this stage of time that the Babylonians are really being used to bring judgment on the Assyrians and those in the kingdom of Judah. And, and remember, Habakkuk's there in Judah. All right. So the Babylonians are being used to, to kind of help repay and to judge and punish the Assyrians who had been a part of the punishment of the Israelite people in 722. And then also those in the kingdom of Judah, which is where Habakkuk is at. But the Babylonians don't get off scot-free because they eventually get conquered in 539 B.C. by those of the kingdom of Persia. And then God's people who have been exiled to the Babylonians are released by Cyrus the Great of the Persian Empire in 539. Everybody tracking with me? There's going to be a pop quiz on this at the end of the day. All right? The reason that I'm telling you all this, the reason that this is important, is because when we begin reading the words of Habakkuk, I want you to get a sense that he's talking about the pressing turmoil that is current in their lives, the things that they see, they hear, the rumors of things that are going on in the world, and I want you to get a sense that even though he may not know, and the Israelite people don't know, what is to come? 
Because remember, we're talking about B.C. So the 722 time happened before the 589 time and the 539 time. Everybody tracking with me? We're B.C. We're working towards zero, not away from zero. So the Assyrians that were a part of kind of judging and punishing the kingdom of Israel, that happens. And then it's like 140 years later that the Babylonians take over, you know, a part of the Israelite people when the kingdom has been split. And then in 539 later, those people are overcome. But Habakkuk doesn't know those things because those things are things to come. And so really what what Habakkuk is speaking here, he's doing what I asked you right up front. He's questioning God. He really is one of the the primary people in Scripture who gets to kind of talk to God like you and I want to talk to God. Right? God, why are bad things happening to us, your good and chosen people? You ever wanted to ask that? Right. You just you look at people and you're like, man, they are a dirty, rotten sinner. I can't figure out why they're so blessed. I can't figure out why good things are happening to them. I can't why can't believe why, you know, I am a good like person. I'm doing what I know to do. I mean, I'm trying my best in everything that I know to do. And man, I can't seem to get ahead. And this is kind of what Habakkuk's talking about here. So I want us to jump into Habakkuk chapter one. And I want us to read. We're going to read a good bit of text today, but I want us to read. A little bit about what Habakkuk says to God, beginning in verse 2 of Habakkuk chapter 1. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? I have prayed that prayer. Or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? I mean, he is leveling some pretty harsh things towards. Why are you just sitting idle while wrong things are happening in the world? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. He's saying to God, your law that you gave us is paralyzed. It is doing no good on the earth. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Talking about those who are outside of the kingdom of God. They're, uh, they're surrounding those of us who claim to be righteous in your kingdom, God. Why are this happening? So justice goes forth. Listen to this word. Perverted. He's saying, God... You've got a law, you've got a, a, something that you, you kind of established to set aside your people, and it is doing us no good. We're attempting to do what you've called us to do, be what you've called us to be, which may or may not be true, depending on where you're at. Because during this time in 640, a new king had come on in Judah. His name was Josiah. Josiah was eight years old. And, and, and so, as you can imagine, the early part of his reign was really kind of led by a lot of advisors in the government. And they were helping him to bring about some reform, but very slowly, um, but so that it wouldn't turn the people's hearts away from Josiah quickly. But as he begins to mature and get older, he starts to kind of really step up when the reform and how the reform's taking place. And he's saying, hey, we want to remove all the non-Jehovah God religious items from our culture and remove them. We want to get them out. We want to take the Assyrian gods and get them out of town and get them away from us. And we want to worship Jehovah God. During that time, they found the law of God. They found what, what many call the, it would be like a part or all of the book of Deuteronomy that's in your Bible. Where God is establishing for himself a people. And he's giving to this people, here's how you should live. And so they find this. And, and for Josiah and the government, they're like, okay, we're on the right track here. We said we wanted to worship Jehovah God and he called us to worship him. him. So, yeah, we're on the right track. And so that's happening. But then they begin to kind of come into some prosperity. And it's all the, even though it originally started as like we're pursuing a pure motive here to pursue God, even though that's how it originally started. 
I think this happens to us sometimes when prosperity starts flowing. We kind of think, man, look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm able to accomplish with my hands. When I really put my mind to it, I can I can do some pretty amazing stuff. I mean, when I work hard, I get bonuses and my, my boss thinks I'm, you know, I'm, I'm it. I'm, you know, the man and and, and I'm pretty special here. And, and so in times of prosperity, we tend to take our eyes off God and put them on our own strength to say, look what I can do. Without realizing that it was God who initiated that in the first place. And so this is what happens here during this time. So Habakkuk is saying to God, listen, your people are being left in the lurch here. Where did you go? Where did you go? And I want you to look here at God's response, because I think interestingly, before we get to the response, I think interestingly for us is like sometimes we we think we can't question God. We think we, you know, like it's it, God's going to be offended if we're not sure what's going on. And here's what I would say to you. And this is this is, again, just my opinion. And then and then what I gather from text. God understands that we don't always understand. Does that make sense? God understands that we don't always understand. He created us. A text that I want to jump to real quick is Isaiah 55. This is a verse and a passage of scripture. It's actually two verses that people use a lot. And and I hope that you don't see it this way in the way I'm using it. But people sometimes use it when they can't explain something that God's doing. They kind of jump to this verse. All right. But I want to talk about it for just a second. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God's saying that about himself and about you and I. And he says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This isn't meant to make us helpless or hopeless. It's an understanding that God knows we don't always understand what he's doing. It is an assurance for us, a confidence to us that God understands that sometimes we're not going to be able to see the same things that he's seeing in the plan that he is orchestrating around the world. And and so God has, we talked about this last week, God has a different perspective than you and I. And that's a good thing. I'm glad that God doesn't have the same perspective I have. I'm so thankful for that. So I want us to jump and look at how God answers Habakkuk. Remember what Habakkuk just said. Like, you're doing nothing. Why are you sitting idle while bad things are happening to us? And look at what what God responds to Habakkuk, beginning in verse 5. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. Listen to this verse. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Verse 6. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Remember, those are the Babylonians. That bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. They pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men... Whose own might is their God. I would be scared of these people if God spoke this to me. Right? God's saying, listen, I'm raising up the Chaldeans who you need to be afraid of. And they're a part of the plan that if I tried to explain the plan to you right now, you would not believe it. Now, you and I know the plan. Right? We know that the Chaldeans, the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to overtake the kingdom. They're going to go into a season of exile. We also understand that eventually they're going to come out of that exile. 
We know that they're going to come out of that captivity. And so we get to see, and we talked about this at Easter, we talk about this a lot, but you and I forget this sometimes when we're reading Scripture. That you and I read Scripture looking back at the entire story. The people in the story are looking ahead not knowing what is going to happen. They're looking at the events of Scripture the way you and I look at our future. We have no clue what the future holds. And so as Habakkuk is having this conversation with God, he has no way to understand what the plan of God is that is to come. To me, that's a great assurance to go, there are some people that were just like me who were questioning God, not knowing, and God spoke to them. God answered their questions. So I want to give you hope this morning that you can talk to God about the things that you don't understand. There's some pretty profound theological things that were in that text we just read. That God's saying to him, listen, I've got a plan and, and you, you wouldn't understand it. You wouldn't believe it if I told you. And I, I'm going to utilize and orchestrate some things about the man-made systems of earth and some people you wouldn't choose to really bring about my ultimate plan on the earth. And so Habakkuk complains a little more and then God answers back a little more. And I want you to look now in Habakkuk chapter 2. So keep flipping if it's not on the same page for you. Habakkuk chapter 2 beginning in verse 2. It's, this is God speaking again. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. So let's stop for just a second before we move on again. And I want you to remember what Habakkuk said to God in the beginning of Habakkuk chapter 1. He said, the law that you've given us is doing us no good. Because you and I see, see, we see things through really short spans of time, kind of temporarily. We were kind of you know, focused in on the events of that day, the events of these moments, and how these events affect what's going on in my life right now, and trying to figure out how it affects like the next moment, how it affects like the next day possibly. We don't tend, some of us don't, maybe some of us have this ability to kind of see a little further in the future, but you know, trying to, okay, how will this affect this, and how will we look beyond this moment? But for most of us, we look at today, and we wonder how will today affect this afternoon? How will what's going on today affect tomorrow or maybe next week or maybe over the next few weeks? But very few of us look at the events of today, the things that we're involved in and go, okay, how is it that God might use what's going on in my life today a year from now? What is it that God might do in my events of today? What is it that he might be trying to create and stir up in me and form in me and form in others around me and in the relationships that I'm a part of? How might God be using that Five years from now in my life. That's difficult. I get that. I understand that. I mean, I'm guilty of this just like you are. But I think what God is saying to to Habakkuk is, listen, it may not be happening as fast as you want it to happen, but don't give up. The vision is awaiting its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. The vision that's been given, the promise that I've laid out, the promise that he just gave in Habakkuk chapter 1 when he was responding to Habakkuk and other prophecies that had been given to Isaiah and to Daniel. He's saying, listen, do not give up on this. It seems slow, but wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Now look at this in verse 4. This is an incredible verse. It's quoted three times in the New Testament. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Everybody say that. The righteous shall live by faith. Say it one more time. The righteous shall live by faith. There's a contrast happening here in this verse. 
the end of the verse is very specifically talking about the righteous. The beginning of the verse, by inference of what we're talking about up front, we're talking about the wicked who were referenced in chapter 1, verses 7, 11, and 13. So we have this contrast in these two verses of the righteous and the wicked. So the righteous, we see they live by faith. And the wicked, they're kind of puffed up. Their, 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 their soul is puffed up, it said. And it says that not only is their soul puffed up, but it says that there, there's no, no uh, it's not upright within them. There's nothing upright. There's nothing of good standing in them. Now, what does righteous mean? Righteous means good standing with God. And so he's saying the wicked have no good standing, no uprightness. Their soul is puffed up. They've kind of taken their own devices, the things that they're good at, you know, the things we talked about a minute. And they're kind of saying, hey, look what I can do. Look what I'm about. I am positioning myself of my own accord to do what I want to do. And he's saying the righteous don't look to themselves. They live by faith. Now, faith is a word that we hear a lot in church. Maybe you've heard it a thousand times. But I want for just the next few minutes to make sure we're all on the same page. So Hebrews chapter 11 is the place that we find a really clear uh, definition. Hopefully it's clear to us. A clear definition of what the word faith means. Hebrews 11 verse 1. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and an assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and an assurance about what we do not see. So go back to the contrast. The wicked have confidence and assurance in themselves, in what they can produce. They have confidence in the things that they've already seen with their eyes, the things that they know, the things that they can be sure of and convinced of in their mind because they see it with their eyes and they are convinced of its truth and reality and strength because of what it's done in their lives, right? But the righteous live by faith. They live by the confidence of the things that they hope for. They live by the assurance of the things they can't see. We're not just talking about the things you can't see in the future. There's also the things that we can't see with our eyes, the, the spiritual realms that, that, that Scripture talks about, the things that, that we understand from Scripture, but we can't see with our eyes. We can't really put our finger on it. It's not as tangible to us to be able to touch. And so there's a, there's a part of faith that says, listen, there's a confidence I have in something that I'm hoping for, believing for. And there's an assurance that I have in the things that I can't see. Now, what can't I see? I can't see a visible, tangible Jesus like some of the people that got to see in the Gospels, right? I can't really see or touch or put my fingers on the being of God. Now, I can see God at work. I can put my hands and and fingers on things that God has done and God is doing, So faith, by its very nature for us who call ourselves believers or who are in the room today and trying to figure out, do I believe this? Do I want to pursue something with faith? We're saying, hey, I am I'm striving for something that I can't touch. I've got to I've got to hope for it. I've got to be confident in something I can't really put my arms around physically that I can't be assured of by physical touch, by my own desires, my own strength, the things that I need to go. Yes, this exists because I'm holding it right. But then to go, I'm putting my faith in God who I can't hold. I can't in my hands. Right. This is what we're talking about with faith. And so God here speaking to Habakkuk says, listen, the righteous will live by Faith, they'll live by the things that they can't see. That's what righteous living looks like. Now, why did I tell you all that? 
so you would be bored. No, that's not why I told you that. I wanted to tell you that so that you could have the full context before we get into the, the meat of what I want to talk about for like five minutes. Okay? So all that was a setup, right? That was the leadoff man and somebody's about to drive him home. You ready? Habakkuk chapter 3 beginning in verse 17. Here is our flip side statement for today. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Who's talking here? Habakkuk. In listening to God's response to his questions, in looking with his eyes to see the political turmoil of the day, in listening to the voice of God and looking ahead at what sounds like even worse political turmoil to come, Habakkuk says, there's no figs, there's no grapes, there's no olives, There's no food in the fields. There's no sheep. There's no cattle. Yet, I will rejoice. Yet, I will rejoice. What is he doing? He's living by faith. My uncle calls this faithing forward. Moving forward in faith. Moving forward into something that we can't see, but out of trust in a God who says it's safe for you to move forward, right? This is the story of the Israelite people through the early part of the Old Testament. They would gather together, they would be in a camp, and they would wake up, and through a pillar of fire or a cloud, it would be time to move. And they didn't know where they were headed. They would just move until it stopped. God said to Abraham, I want you to get up and I want you to move. I want you to go. Abraham said, awesome, where are we going? God said, I'll tell you when we get there. God said, it's safe for you to move. I know what's in front of you. Joshua is about to lead the children of Israel into the promised land in Joshua chapter 1. And he says, even though Joshua was one of the spies that went into the promised land and said, yeah, we need to go. Ten of them said no. Two of them said yes. Joshua was one of those guys. Even though that was the case, God said to Joshua, you've never been this way before, so I'm going to lead you. Right? This is our lives. You and I don't know what the future holds. We only see today and we only see yesterday. We cannot see tomorrow. But we have to live from today toward tomorrow. Right? And so the only way to live in today toward tomorrow in a righteous manner, according to this text, is to live it by faith, to move by faith, to faith forward. This is what Habakkuk is saying here. Listen, I only see what I see with my eyes. And what I see with my eyes is not good. There's kind of this progression of this is kind of bad to this is terrible. You know, figs, it's like, uh, who likes a fig anyway? But there's none of those, so that's okay. Grapes, you know, they kind of squish in your mouth. That's a little weird, but there's none of those either. Um, But then when we get to know produce in the fields, I'm starting to get hungry, but we'll eat meat. Oh my goodness, no, there's actually no sheep or any cattle. We're in trouble. Like our commerce, our ability to trade is gone. Our ability to eat is gone. Like, I don't know how we're going to make this. Yet, 
I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. And then in verse 9, he starts talking about deer. I think he was hungry. I really think the sheep and cattle are gone. He starts talking about deer. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. It's not true. Don't believe that I just said that. Here's what verse 19 means. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. And he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Habakkuk is specifically speaking about deer and their ability in times of crisis to run to higher ground. And this is what Habakkuk sees with his eyes. Time of crisis, time of turmoil, don't know how we're going to make it. We're going to change our perspective. We're going to run to the hills. We said God has a different perspective than we do. He has a higher, my ways are higher than your ways. And so to the best of our ability, I'm going to try, because God is my strength, to get to a higher perspective to see if there's any way in this time of things that I don't fully understand that I can try to get somewhere close to what God may be seeing in this moment to say, is there something here that I'm not putting my my finger on? I can't really figure it out, but maybe God's at work and he's my strength and I'm moving towards higher ground. I call this, and, and if you've been around here very long, you've heard me say this a bunch. I call this zooming out. I think zooming out is the answer to most uh, drama in my life. Maybe not in yours. When, when, I, when I am kind of stuck in the turmoil and the uncertainty of today and worried about tomorrow, I do what I've been talking about for the last 10 minutes. And I, I try, I don't always achieve it, but I try to zoom out, change my perspective. Mark Batterson is an author that I love to read. He's a pastor in Washington, D.C. at National Community Church. And he talks about zooming out, kind of getting to the 50,000 foot level. And then in a little bit of another metaphor, another illustration, he gives this equation. It's not going to be on the screen. This is what he says. Change of place, location, versus uh, plus change of pace, rhythm, equals change of perspective. Change of place plus change of pace equals change of perspective. And I think in most of our lives, when things are going bad, we need to live out this equation. When there are things that we're worried about, we're trying to figure out, we're not sure about, we're trying to figure out why bad things are happening to me, a good person. We're trying to figure out how all the details of today and tomorrow and yesterday kind of play together into the ultimate plan of God. And we can't really figure it out. I would encourage you to try to change your place and change your pace to see if that gives you a little bit of an ability to see things through a different lens. I would say if that means that your routine is like Monday through Friday, you know, come slamming into work in like the last possible minute you can clock in without being docked pay. Like I would say, get up 30 minutes earlier. Don't fight traffic. Get up an hour earlier. Go to the gym first. Like eat cereal instead of a pop tart. I don't know. Go out in your backyard and sit there and drink a cup of coffee. I think it means that like, instead of eating lunch at your desk, go to the Mexican place. Mexican's always good, right? (laughs) Instead of going to the Mexican place, go to the Italian place. Instead of riding your bike to work, because who wants to do that? Ride your car, carpool, walk. Do something to change the rhythm so that you don't get stuck in just that rhythm that says, man, nothing good ever happens to me. Man, there's no figs on on the, the bud there. There's no grapes on the vine. The sheep are gone. The cattle are gone. There's no produce in the fields. Look at me. Woe is me. Nothing good's happening to me. God, where are you at in all this? 
lay on your back and look up into the heavens and realize how big God is and how little you are. Change your place, change your pace, get a different perspective, tread to higher ground. Use the sovereign Lord as your strength to change your perspective a little bit. Because here, here's what Habakkuk was saying. He was saying, listen, all this that I'm talking about to God and all of his answers scare me. And there's bad stuff and everything I see with my eyes is really bad. Yet I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship. I'm going to find satisfaction In God. I'm going to say to God, there's something about you that I want to magnify in my life. I can't make God any bigger than he is. God's already huge. He's bigger than I could ever make him or imagine. We just read that in Isaiah 55. But in magnifying God, what I'm doing is I'm taking my focus off of my problems and putting my focus on the problem solver. Right? I'm saying to God, I'm going to zoom out from this situation just for a moment. And I'm going to worship you in spite of my circumstances. This is, this is kind of how all this comes together. Ultimately, when I focus less on my problems and more on who God is, I'm able to gain a proper perspective and worship in spite of my current circumstances. Now, last week I asked you a question based on the message that we talked about, about praying submitted prayers. I want to ask you another question today. Last week, the question was, do you trust God enough to pray submitted prayers? And here's today's question. Do you trust God enough to worship in anticipation of rather than just in response to? So here's what that looks like. I'm, I am cool to worship when there's figs on the bud, when there's grapes on the vine. I can worship with the best of them when the sheep are in the pen and the cattle are on the hill or wherever the cattle go. I am awesome to worship then because I know I'm going to eat. I know if you know times get tough, I can sell some cows and make some living. Like I'm cool when there's money in the bank. I'm cool when me and my wife are doing awesome. I'm cool when my kids are like the best behaved kids and I'm like, what's happening? I don't even know these kids. Like I'm cool to worship when life is going good because that's in that's worship in response to The good things in life. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think I'm called to worship in response to. I think we're called to do that. But I think a greater reality for the righteous. Not the wicked. Because the wicked have no hope for tomorrow. It's only about what they can create with their hands. And I can't create a lot with my hands when there's no figs and no grapes and no food. No sheep and no cattle. I don't know where to start there. But the righteous live by faith. The righteous can worship in anticipation of because they know it's not about them. It's about a plan that God has that they probably wouldn't understand anyway. This is not stick your head in the sand. Like Habakkuk wasn't looking at the reality of no figs and no grapes and no sheep and no cow. He wasn't looking at that and saying, well, that's not real. That's a reality. But the greater reality is that God told me he had a plan. God told me there was a vision and I was to write it down and I wasn't to let it go and I wasn't to forget about it. And I wasn't to like, you know, just kind of let it escape thinking that it's never going to happen. I was to actually hold on to that, knowing that even though it didn't come to pass as quickly as I thought, it's still going to come to pass. So I'm going to worship in anticipation of the fulfillment of God's promises towards me and not wait and only worship in response who answered prayers. This could be transformational for most of us. 
Because right now, our relationship with God is very similar to our relationships with one another. It's so conditionally based that God, yes, I will absolutely worship you when you're meeting all my needs and when you're, you know, life's good and things are happening and man, the music's right and the song they sang, that's right. And Jeff's here and Jeff sings good and Kristen's here and Kristen sings good and Justin's here and Connor's like they're singing good and I'm in. But when the other people come, no, I mean, I don't sing that good and I don't know that song and I go to a different church and I'm not sure I don't feel good today. And so it's so conditionally based that I can only worship in response to good things. And I think what God is saying to Habakkuk and the resolve we see in Habakkuk is something we want to model in our own life to say, God, I want to worship in anticipation of. I want to worship before I see the answer. I want to worship before I see how it all plays out. I want to worship by faith. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's looking around. It's just you and God in this moment. And if you would say to me, again, with nobody looking around, you would say to me, Jeremy, listen, I I don't know how it all translates specifically to my situation, but I feel like I'm kind of in that spot. No no figs and no grapes. And there's there's some things I can't explain. There's some bad stuff going on in my life. You know, I, I lost my job or my job's maybe in jeopardy. Money's tight. It's tighter than I want it to be. My marriage is on the rocks maybe or we're fighting more than we've ever fought and I'm not sure where my kids are at with the Lord or I'm not really sure how I'm in, interacting with my kids and I've just got some stuff going on and I want you to pray for me. Nobody's looking. Would you just lift your hand? Thank you. You can put them right back down. A lot of hands. A lot of hands. Now everybody look at me. I'm not going to call you to the altar. Whether you raise your hand or not, I'm not going to bring you to the front. I'm going to give you the opportunity to worship before you see the answer. We're going to sing a song. And I'm going to give all of us the opportunity to say, God, none of us, whether we raise our hand or not, none of us know what tomorrow holds. And so we're going to worship you before tomorrow gets here. And thank you for the blessings of tomorrow. I'm going to thank you that even though I lifted my hand because of my job uncertainty or my family situations or the strife in my marriage, the strife in my my home or just uncertainty in general, even though I lifted my hand for that, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to say there's all this going on over here. Reality. No figs, no grapes, no sheep, no cattle. Whatever my reality is, it's true. Yet, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord my God. I'm going to find God as my strength. He's a sovereign Lord. It means he's got a plan. And I'm going to hold to that even when I can't see it with my eyes. I want everyone to stand with me. I'm going to pray. The band's going to lead us in worship. And I encourage you just to engage in this moment of worship before we close. God, we thank you so much for this moment here. This moment that you helped to create by writing the scriptures long ago. So that we have these moments to read the text and respond to it. God, let us understand that we're not just called to worship in response to good things, but that, God, we are able to worship in anticipation of the answers that are to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together. You are... God, we, uh, we declare that. We sing that. We acknowledge that. And now I pray that we would live that as we leave this room. 
that this world has nothing for us, that we're going to follow you into our future, into the uncertainty of that. God, we look to you for rescue. We look to you for guidance. We look to you as Savior. We look to you as Lord. Ultimately, we look to you. And so, God, let our lives not just be about worship in response to good things. God, let us worship in response to good things. Let us do that, but let it not just be that. Let it not only be that. Let our lives as people who are righteous because of the work of your son, Jesus, and not because we do enough right things, but we're righteous because of the work of your son, Jesus, on the cross. God, as we are righteous through that work, let us live by faith. Let us walk by faith. Let us walk in trust with you. And God, let us worship and live in anticipation of and not just in response to. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you've done. Be with us as we leave in just a moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.